the Apostle Paul, whenever he was writing about the work that he was doing to try to set up churches and to make them healthy, oftentimes he would say this, this phrase, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And it was like, we haven't seen Jesus firsthand, but we know that you have through a miraculous event. And because of that, we know that your life embodies all of the characteristics that Jesus calls us to live out. And any time that you don't embody those things that you're called to live out, uh, that's an area where God says we need to work on that. We need to probably test that a little bit. And if you've been tracking with us in this series that, um, that, that we've been doing on the, on the testing and the temptations that Jesus endured in the three different Gospels, uh, you know that it was a way of bringing to the surface those things that that could have been shortcomings in his own life. Because if we're tested, it's always in an area where we could be uh, vulnerable or weak. And um, whenever the testing comes, it's not easy and it's not enjoyable, uh, but it, it is revealing. And for every believer who comes up out of the baptismal waters, it's the same pattern over and over and over. Beginning with the Israelites when they were coming up out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, out of the water and into that staging area of the promised land called the wilderness. And for 40 years they spent uh, uh, day after day being tested by God and being tempted by the devil to reveal what it was that they were bringing to the equation. And it wasn't fun for them. Many of them, most of them failed the test and only a few of them made it into the promised land. Yet whenever we look at that story from this side of the cross, we see uh, that even though the pattern remains, Jesus has made a way for us to remain uh, faithful and steadfast in the testing. And as you've been going with me through the book of, uh, of, of, of uh, Luke and, and Matthew, in chapters 4 of both of those books, we've cataloged all the aspects of the temptation that uh, Jesus endured and hopefully learned some things along the way. And it's really not so much what we, how, how we succeed in that moment, but rather how that moment shapes what's yet to come. Did anybody hear this week about the uh, flight 1380 of Southwest traveling from Dallas or from, from New York uh, to Dallas? And if you're aware of that story, you know how tragic uh, it was uh, for the person that, that, that was, uh, that was uh, injured and then ultimately died in that, in that, in that episode. Uh, and many of you probably have also heard how there have been uh, a, a lot of people testifying to the fact that the pilot did such a, a fantastic job. And uh, yet the pilot is not really doing interviews or anything like that to kind of give her take on it so much as just what has been shared uh, from passengers and people in that encounter. Well, the, the, the things that we do know about the pilot, uh, her name is uh, Tammy Jo Schultz. Uh, she's from Texas. She's been a pilot for um, the better part of her, her life and career. And uh, the thing that... Uh, 
comes to the surface not so much in the secular uh, media reporting but more on the Christian side is the role that God plays in this whole process. Because I, I can't imagine, first of all, what it would be like to land a plane that had two engines and one of them looked like that. Matter of fact, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to land a plane, period. Uh, let alone um, uh, one that doesn't, is, is broken. And yet, uh, when people see the, the nature of the circumstances of that test, and when they hear the story about how a pilot uh, played such a significant role in allowing those lives to safely land on the ground again, it's pretty fantastic. And in, in, the, in Christianity Today, they did a write-up about Tammy Jo Schultz, and they said she belonged to a church in Texas, which, which probably would stand to reason. And if you know anything about Texas, she belonged to a Baptist church, which would also stand to reason. But the thing that's kind of cool about it is the fact that she, uh, in, in, in the interviews that were done regarding people at her church, they said that she was, a, she was active in, in leading the youth, and had a very uh, powerful influence on, on the lives of the kids that were part of uh, their church. And uh, she had a reputation in the community. It seemed like everybody in the community knew her name. And her reputation was she's always been uh, noted for doing good works for people, for taking people in, for helping people along the way, uh, for sacrificing, and for uh, trying to be a good model for for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And all of us, I think, would aspire to be that. We would love to be uh, present on that day when the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. Now I'll, be, now I'll make you fa uh, responsible for even more. And uh, please come and enter into my rest. And along the way, up to that moment where we stand before the Lord, God looks at us and he says, did you pass the test? And the only way I think that we can, we can answer that is to first discover what the test is, the tests are in life, and then also know that God calls us into a vocation of serving him and his kingdom. And that's the other part of the test. But for Tammy Jo Schultz, I don't know her whole story. All I know is that by reputation, when people hear that name who are familiar with her, they will say, yeah, she makes a difference. And the cool thing also was within the, within the, the community of pilots that she worked for as her peers, they would say that whenever they would have a struggle themselves, it wasn't unusual uh, for Tammy Jo to, to walk up to them and to, to listen and then to offer a prayer. And these are believers and non-believers alike. And in the things that were written, as humble as she was in, in, in really not trying to glory in the moment... Uh, the things that were written basically uh, brought some clues as to what her posture was like towards the whole thing. And, 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 and one, of the, one of the things that was mentioned was how she, she trusted God to get her through this huge event that um, could very easily have ended badly. And I think that that's a clue to the same pattern 
of the process of testing that God has enacted from the time of the Israelites to that same pattern being described in Jesus just like them in in Deuteronomy chapters 6 through 8, just like them in the wilderness. Jesus, Mark tells us in chapter 1, when he describes the testing slash temptation uh, experience. He only uses two two verses to, to state what Jesus went through. But they're very powerful and very telling. And they also involve that same wilderness idea of going out into the wilderness before entering into the place that God's calling him. And as he did, he went through his own his own set of tests. And the thing that we discover is Mark uses his language very carefully. And one of the words that he says, and I'll, I'll, I'll highlight it here in a second, the spirit immediately, this is after he's baptized, drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And that's all we know from Mark's point of view about what happened to Jesus. Now, we know Luke 4 and Matthew 4 describe in detail what that, what that was all about, but what Mark does is he emphasizes a side of this that I, I would like to go into for uh, the remainder of the message, and that is the phrase, the wilderness, the wilderness, and the wild animals. It was the desert. And we don't really live near desert. We live around trees and farm ground and things like that. But if you've ever traveled out west and you've been in the desert and you've been hiking and you've experienced a little bit of the extreme of that that, that, that environment, you know that at night it gets very, very cold, so cold that you could get hypothermia. And during the day it gets so hot that you could easily become dehydrated and you could possibly even languish and die. And then there are all of those things that you don't see as you're just looking at the barrenness of the desert, but you realize that on the floor of the desert there are, there are brambles, there are briars, there are things that cut your skin, there are things that are hostile to your physical well-being, there are snakes, there are lizards, there are all manner of, 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 of creatures and, um, and, and plant life that in their own right are saying to humanity, keep out. You're not welcome here. If you come here, come here at your own peril. And you hear stories if you've ever tuned into what happens to people who live around the desert. person will go out hiking and all of a sudden they'll just be gone. And nobody knows what happened to them. Or there'll be these long um, search and recovery uh, missions that happen when people do disappear in the desert. And oftentimes when they find them, they discover that they succumb to any one of those threats. Because what those threats are, are a means of testing whether or not you have what it takes to endure this environment. And when the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, it was a way of saying, this is a dangerous place. It was even believed, did you know, that in the time that Jesus was here on earth, and even the centuries prior to that, that the, that the desert was associated with the habitation of demons. That evil spirits, that was really where they hung out at. And so you had all of these 
factors that were in play. And Jesus is in this environment where he's completely and totally vulnerable. And what we discover is that he is tested, in a sense, by the environment itself. And in Mark's case, he said that he was being tempted by Satan while there, including the fact that he fasted. Uh, for 40 days going into that. So you get, the, you get a sense of how extreme this is. Jesus really doesn't have anything except, except the Holy Spirit who is the representation of God's presence with him. And did you know that in the, in the Bible when we read about the people who came up out of Egypt, that wilderness generation, did you know that God was with them as well? You know, the, um, the, the, the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. And um, I, I got a corny joke. I should, shouldn't tell it, but I will. Uh, somebody was asked, a, a Sunday school person was asked about, about Lot and how, uh, how his wife uh, uh, perished and what her story was. And, and one of the Sunday school kids said, well, this I can tell you is that she was a, she was Uh, A pillar of salt during the day, and she was a pillar of fire at night. Okay, now you can take that however you want, but let your imagination be sanctified. And as as you hear that, you're like, yes, some very bizarre things happened in the storyline of the Bible with, uh, with, with the way God worked in the lives of the people. But he was truly there. He was leading. He was enabling. He was providing the manna that they needed in the wilderness. And as uh, they were going through this, every time it came to food, they grumbled. When it came to testing God, they test him all the time. And when it came to worshiping God, they they said, even though you're with us, God, our hearts are devoted to this, to this golden calf over here. And we're going to allow it to provide what we need. And God was just pretty upset because their whole way of looking at things was completely misguided. And they just weren't up for the test. And they failed. Now you and I have the benefit of being this side of Jesus' test. And we have the benefit of seeing how Jesus went through it. And we know that just as God called Israel out of Egypt, and when he did, he called Israel collectively, my son, as if to say, this is my child. And when Jesus came up out of the water, God said, this is my son. And he embodies everything that I expected that group of people to be. Only they failed the test constantly. And as my son leads, is led out into the wilderness, we're going to see whether or not he can embody all of those characteristics under the test. Now, I don't know if you followed that story with Southwest or not very much, but maybe if you did, you were asking yourself the question, how in the world is it that a, a jet engine could just could just blow up. It could just, you know, turn out a certain level of RPMs and then all of a sudden it just, like a bomb, just detonates. And that's been a question that engine manufacturers have had uh, from the beginning of time uh, of, 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 of the actual um, usage of that kind of technology. And did you know that most engine manufacturers 
who produce plane engines like General Electric is one of them and there's a, there's a few others, Pratt, Pratt & Whitney in case you wanted to know. Uh, and then there's one called Rolls-Royce. Did you know that when, when um, all the manufacturers test their engines to see whether or not they'll, they'll, they'll remain intact, they do it on a computer simulation. They, they run the specs, they run the, the simulation and they say, well, the computer says it'll pass, so it's all good. There is one company, though, Rolls-Royce. They take their engines, they mount them to a platform, they put them under the type of stresses that are found in a real-world type of experience, and they see whether or not they can do the, run the pieces. And there's actually video of the Rolls-Royce jet engine exploding. And uh, it's pretty horrific. And, and pretty startling to just see that thing go off like a bomb detonating. And the reason that they do it is because it's one thing in theory to, to map it out on a computer simulation, but there is nothing like the real world experience. And that's probably why, um, you know, they're probably the least incident-wise um, responsible for engines doing that. And it's mainly because they're tested under load to see where their weakness is. As God is looking at us, he's saying, when things are going normal and you're kind of in, in, in sort of your routine mode, probably not much is going to happen. But when things are pressing in on your life, when you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, you don't know how the doctor's going to report what you anticipate will, could be a, a, bad, um, a, 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 a bad prognosis, when you don't know how to anticipate the hearts of other people as you have to maybe work with them in a workplace setting or in a family environment, and you look at all of these unknowns and these things that press in on us that we all go through, and there's no question that none of us are strangers to trials and tests and temptations. But the real question is, when they happen, what do they reveal? Do they reveal a lack of trust? A lack of patience? Do they reveal fear? Do they reveal unbelief? Do they reveal things that are inside of us that we need to deal with, whether it's anger or greed or avarice, which is meaning you can't, you can't get enough, or lust, or any combination of things that our desires would, would say, this is you. And what a test does is it says, that stuff still kind of has a foothold in your life. And you need to ask God to help you get it in order. In Jesus' case, he knew how to get it in order and to keep it in order. And what he did was he aligned his life with the things of God and he started early on. And he utilized the scripture. He utilized the power of the Holy Spirit. And he utilized um, the, the, the disciplines of, 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 of continually praying and of bringing those to bear upon his life. Now, I'd be the first to tell you that I'm not perfect in, in those areas, 
But I see their value, and as I mark each year in time, I hope they play a greater role in my life, and I hope they play a greater role in your lives as well. And I find that when it comes to living my life, oftentimes, as I look at the Scripture, as I hear the Holy Spirit, I find strength. But you know what else I find strength by? The examples of just humble people like Tammy Jo Schultz. And I see her story. I see how she responded. And I recognize there's a person who's been tested. And there's a person who in the midst of a very severe trial prevailed. And I look at that and I say, if she can prevail, I can prevail. Do you ever feel that way? We try to imitate people that we know are able to, 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 to successfully go through the spiritual trials that, that we encounter. And when we see them do it, isn't it amazing how we're like, yeah, I can do that. Do you guys remember when the four-minute mile was, was broken? Does anybody remember that? Is that even a thing that is even interesting to you? Okay. It took a very long time for track stars to get to that place where that threshold was finally broken. And what happened next? Do you remember? People, other people started breaking it. It was like if one person could do it, then, well, I can do it. And it's amazing how the limitations that we thought were there are overcome by the examples of other people. Now, the nation of Israel, when they were coming up out of Egypt, in a lot of ways, they just didn't know better. They lived kind of far away from God for a long time. They had pagan gods trying to tell them what worshiping God meant. And they were pretty confused about this God versus that God. But in our case, we don't have to be, do we? Because we have someone that is clearly described in God's word. And we can pretty much see that he was in tune with the purposes of the Lord. And we may say, well, he was Jesus and he was God. But the reason why he became one of us was not only to save us, but to show us how to live. Now, the Apostle Paul, as I mentioned at the beginning of the message, carefully took note of the stories of the gospel as he was told them. And he also pondered that encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And in all of those things... What they represented to his mind and his imagination enabled him to have a boldness and a courage that I don't know that he would have had about the gospel prior to those encounters. And what Paul said, he said a few things, but one of them that strikes me as he's looking at churches that he's trying to give courage to, churches like ours. He says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. He says, I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways. How? In Christ. As I teach them everywhere in every church. You see, Jesus, you see, Jesus went through this whole temptation experience. And he did a variety of other things. But this one is clear in Paul's mind. He was tested. And as he was tested, he was resourced by the things of God. And the Apostle Paul 
as you know, went through a lot of testing. And he discovered that I can look at a lot of examples for people to try to follow, but there's really only one, and that's Jesus. And so the ways of my life are the ways that emerge in my life experiences because I am in Christ. Because everything that I do defaults back to asking, what did Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Jesus, what would you do in these circumstances through me? And he just defaulted to that. And in a variety of passages, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing letters to different churches, and even this one, uh, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I also took that to mean that in the areas where, you know, I'm a little shaky, don't imitate me there. But in the areas that you see Jesus emerge in my life, imitate me. And if you have kids and you were a kid, you kind of get this. How many of you adult children had, had occasions where you remembered saying something to your own kids that was almost word for word something that your parents told you? You ever have that happen? And when it came out, you're like, where did that come from? Well, you know where it came from. It came from those people that you, that were in your world. They were, they were in your crosshairs for a long time. And everything that they did, you caught, whether you like it or not. And hopefully the parents that you've had recognize the responsibility that they had to project to you the good things. And when Jesus is going through his temptation... It's not just about him being him versus the devil. It's not just about him being tested by God and trying to get through it on a personal level. There's a lot riding on this. Matter of fact, Jesus, when he was going through his test, not only had the word of God, not only had the Holy Spirit of God, not only had his disciplines that involved fasting and praying, but he also had this. He had the burden of knowing that if he didn't pass this test, it was going to impact not only himself, but all kinds of people that would come after. You see, when we're tested, and if we are influencing other people, other people are looking at you and I and saying, did they get it right? And if we got it right, then we can be that positive person in their life. If we didn't get it right, then, then we need in some ways to come correct. Hopefully the people that we're influencing will forgive us. And hopefully as God is, is mentoring us through Jesus, through Paul, through other people that have, have been our mentors down the line to this moment, hopefully the things that they taught us and they're challenging us by will begin to take, take shape in our own lives. It's that critical when we imitate people, we need to imitate people that get it right. It was, it was interesting. I think I can share this and not be, betray a confidence. But um, in our elders meeting, uh, John Panzot was sharing how the lives of, of, of different elders in his past experience um, um, 
you know, Mr. Hanna and Mr. Cleveland, and um, and 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 and, um, and Mr. Filler, and how those individuals had spoken into your life in such a way that it enabled you to be the elder that you are today. And it's it's their voices, even though they're. They're gone to be with the Lord. It's their voices that carry on that help us to know what to do as we imitate what we saw in their lives. And so imitation is a very important thing. Now, when I was a kid, my dad used to work on cars, uh, you know, and I've, and I've learned to work on cars, even though I'm not that great of a mechanic, um, but I'm cheap. Uh, I got that from him as well. So uh, I work on my own car. Now, you can ask me to work on your car, and I am cheap, but you may not make it to Cleveland. <laughs> but I remember even as a little kid, he'd be playing, you know, doing things with wrenches, and I'm like, I want to do things with wrenches. What happens if I remove the gas cap on his car and I wrench down in there? And he'd tell me, why are all my, or he would say to his, my mom, why are all my wrenches disappearing? And then he'd get in his car, and he would say, why is the gas tank rattling? <laughs> and then one day he came out into the garage. And guess what he saw me doing? Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, putting wrenches in the gas tank. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I don't remember any punishment. <laughs> but I do remember other, other punishments for sure. But I'm just trying to do what he did. Uh, but I had no idea what I was doing. I got a little better, um, but I'm not an auto mechanic by trade, uh, but I, I, I do enjoy the things that I saw him do. Uh, they, they become part of who I, who I am. As Jesus is living out this whole trial, he's well aware that there are going to be people that follow him. Matter of fact, when the trial ends, he just starts telling people, follow me, follow me. That's exact, those are his exact words, follow me. But you can't ask somebody to follow you, can you, if you don't, have a good, if, if you don't offer a good reason to be followed. And so you have to be worthy of it. Now, none of us are perfect by any stretch, but hopefully we're aligning things in such a way that for the most part, we have qualities that people look up to and say, yeah, that's a good thing. That person, they know how to go through trial because they've been through a trial. And there's nothing more encouraging than to have somebody, when you're just facing huge question marks over your head about a situation, and then that person walks up to you and say, how's it going? And you tell them. And they say, well, you know what? That reminds me of a situation that I was in at one point. And then you hear their story and you're like, wow, your story definitely sounds a lot like mine and you landed well. How did you do it? And you go from feeling despair to having a sense of confidence that, well, if they got through it, then I can get through it. And it, it, it gets even more serious whenever you consider the life-threatening illnesses that some of you have gone through. And maybe some of you are going through now. I don't know. And you know that when a person who has gone through that comes into your life, they almost have the authority of God, don't they? Because you're just saying, did you get through this? How did you get through this? What did you do? 
And as they tell you and you imitate what they've done, you make it through. And as you find yourself on the other end of that and you're looking at somebody struggling, God may be saying, as he told, as Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we go through these trials so that we can have a ministry of compassion for others. We become ministers ourselves because we've gone through it and now other people who are going through it can find in us encouragement. They can find wisdom. They can find all of those things. But first you have to endure the test. And as you're enduring the test... You have to make it through the test to the end. The Christian life is not how you start out as much as it is how you end up. For Jesus, he wasn't tested until he was on this planet for 30 years. 30 years of preparation. 30 years of, I don't know if he, if he made some mistakes. I honestly don't know how a developing being like Jesus, who's not fully aware because he became one of us, I don't know how he couldn't have missteps. But I do know when the time was right and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, he did everything according to the will of the Father to the very end. And he showed us that it can be done. He showed us that if you have trials... I've had trials. He showed us how to persevere. And he showed us so much that when John describes the names of Jesus, you know what one of the ways of the, one of the, I just gave it away, one of the names of Jesus is the way. He's the way. There is no other way but the way that he shows. It's the way of the cross and it's the way of the empty tomb. Because those two things represent things that are tests for us. No one likes to talk about death and especially their own demise. And no one, many people don't like to discuss what's happening there. But Jesus said, be encouraged. I've overcome those things. On the other side of those things is a place I've prepared for you. It's a place that says the test is over. We started out talking about our friend Jamie Mowry. And you think about all the testing that she went through in the 18 months prior to going to be with the Lord. There was a cross. There was a, a, a difficult, fearful prospect of dying and then there was a peace that passes all understanding and then there is an empty tomb somewhere on the planet some time ago that assured her that hers would be empty too but you have to persevere and chances are along the way you're going to be tested and when you're tested, it's not that God is upset with you. It's not that God doesn't like you. It just means that God is saying, I'm with you. And this will help you, as bad as it sounds, to trust me. 
probably one of the reasons why many of us are here in this room today is we were tested at some point and we realized I don't have what it takes. I need God. And I'm in this room today because I discovered that there's a lot in life I can do by myself but there's a lot that I can't. And if I'm honest with myself I know I need God. And in that longing for God you discover Jesus, don't you? And then you realize you have a faithful companion and friend every day of your life. And you realize that when trials come, they will oftentimes be so overwhelming and insurmountable that you throw your hands in the air and you say, I just don't know how I can possibly get through this. And then, then Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he says to you, I'm the way. I'm the way. Is he your way? Is he your truth? Is he your life? Because that's why we're here, is to bring you into his presence so that you can find those things. And my goal is to help establish that relationship so that you can and begin to thrive in Him.